This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. This year, in honor of President's Day, I'm actually going to talk about the newly elected Vice President, Kamala Harris. And the reason I'm choosing to talk about her is this is quite an historic year of many firsts. So, for example, Joe Biden is the oldest man elected president of the United States at 78 years old. So that's a first. Kamala Devi Harris is the first woman elected as vice president. She's also the first woman of color being African-American and Southeast Asian. Thirdly, her husband, Doug Emhoff, is the first Jewish spouse and the first second gentleman. Fourthly, I don't know if this is true or not, however, Kamala may be the first to be the daughter of two immigrant parents, not just one. One of the things she said at the time that she was elected, she says, while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. And she further said, every girl watching tonight sees that this is a country of possibilities. So Kamala Harris was born on the 20th of October, 1964 in Oakland, California. Her mother's name was Shamila Gopalan, and her mother was from India. Her mother became a doctor of nutrition and endocrinology, ultimately, and was a breast cancer researcher. When she was in India, her mother was forced to study home science at the British School in India. So she wanted to be educated further in the United States, where she believed she'd be able to pursue a science degree in biochemistry if she desired. She feared if she went to Britain to continue her studies, she still might be stuck in a more narrow track. Kamala's father, Donald J. Harris, he was from Jamaica. He got a doctorate ultimately in economics and became a Stanford economics professor, and now Professor Emeritus of Stanford. And back home in Jamaica, he won a prestigious scholarship, though predecessors who had gotten that scholarship would normally use them in Britain to further their education. He wanted to leave what he later referred to as the static rigidity of the rural Britannia mindset. So he was inspired to go to the University of California in Berkeley, and he had heard of students traveling from Berkeley to places in the South to campaign for civil rights. This was so unprecedented in Jamaica that permissions had to be sent and written for him to go to school in the United States with the scholarship he had. And by the time that those permissions were granted, school had already been started for a couple of weeks. However, he boarded the plane, and went to the United States to the University of California, Berkeley. And that's where Shyamala was also a student. 
They both met because they both were passionate about civil rights, and they met at a meeting of students who were concerned about civil rights. And that meeting later came to be called the Afro-American Association. In 1962, Shimala went to a meeting, and there she heard Donald speak. And he was speaking about growing up under British colonialism, and he was making some parallels to the United States. And at that time, at the University of California, Berkeley, there were less than 100 Black students out of a total student population of about 20,000. This beginning of the Black Power movement was taken seriously by the group, the Afro-American Association, and it required serious study. They studied books, they studied people and resources, and when you came to a meeting, you better have your homework done. Well, both of them were interested in that. And after seeing her a few times at the meeting, they started dating. This was in 1962. And then by 1963, they were married. Young Kamala, when she came along, she was part of the civil rights movement, even as a baby. Her parents took her to marches, even when she was in the stroller. There were two girls born to the family, her younger sister, Maya, as well, And ultimately, when Kamala was about seven years old, her parents got divorced and her mother ended up having custody of her. And they did visit her father on weekends in Palo Alto, California. When she was a child, Kamala visited both Jamaica and India in childhood. She's probably spent more time visiting India over and over again because of her mother. And in multiple visits to India, she spent time walking the beach with her grandfather. Her maternal grandfather was a diplomat. He was a civil rights person, also very democratic and very liberal in his views, and especially towards women. He was also a civil servant in terms of the government and how he spent his time. She also spent time with her maternal grandmother, who was a women's rights activist and was a strong advocate for birth control for women. Now, Kamala's mother, Shamila, consciously raised her to be a strong Black woman, knowing that she was half Black and also half Indian, Southeast Asian Indian. She knew that in the United States, she would be perceived as and treated as a Black woman. So she wanted Kamala to have a strong foundation as being a Black woman. And she exposed her to many amazing Black people that she met as part of her association at the University of California, Berkeley, and the different groups that she was in. She met lots of amazing people who would later go on to make huge impacts and differences in the world and also get Nobel Peace Prizes and so on. At one point in her growing up years, while Kamala's mother Shamila was a single parent, they were looking for someone to be like a daycare provider. And they found a Mrs. Shelton, a Black woman who owned a daycare service that both Kamala and her younger sister were able to go to. In addition, Mrs. Shelton had an apartment above the daycare center that she was able to rent out to Kamala's mother and their little family. Kamala's mother worked long and hard hours in her life. There were times when Mrs. Shelton just kept the children down in her apartment while her mother worked late. 
And other times, Mrs. Shelton would send her older daughters upstairs to where Kamala really lived to tuck them in bed over there and to stay with them until their mother came home from work. In addition, Mrs. Shelton belonged to a Black church, and she took Kamala and her sister Maya to the Black church with her. And so she got grounded also in the faith tradition as well. When Kamala was about 12 years old, she moved with her mother and sister to Montreal in Quebec, Canada. Initially, she attended a fine arts middle school there, and ultimately, she graduated from Westmount High School in Quebec in 1981. The reason they went to Canada was that her mother had accepted a research and teaching position at McGill University. While they were there, of course, we will not be surprised to know that her mother even organized a protest against the building owner for not allowing children to play on the grass. And they also started a dance troupe while they were there. Kamala, in addition, developed a real heart for those people who are sexually abused. And she had a friend in high school who confided in her about some abuse that she had experienced. And as a result of that, that stayed with Kamala and would be something that she continued to pursue later as an attorney and as a lawyer, fighting for women and children who had been abused. Her own mother even allowed that young lady to stay with them uh, during some of the critical high school years so that she would have some protection. Later, Kamala then came back to the United States and she went to Howard University, where she graduated with a political science and economics degree in 1986. She then went on to the University of California, Hastings College of Law, where she got her JD Law degree in 1989. She is a member of AKA, which is a Black women's sorority. And people often know Kamala for wearing pearls and also wearing chucks. She wears the chucks because they're comfortable and she wears the pearls in honor of the AKA founders. And those 20 women founders are called the 20 pearls. Kamala Harris has written three books, one in 2019 called The Truths We Hold, An American Journey, where she shares a lot about her life. Superheroes Are Everywhere, another book in 2019, which is a children's book. And then in 2009, she wrote Smart on Crime, a career prosecutor's plan to make the U.S. safer. She's had a long and illustrious career, and I'll just mention some highlights. 2001, she established California's first Bureau of Children's Justice. 2003, she was the San Francisco DA where she educated and provided job training to low-level offenders and decreased recidivism. 2004 to 2010, she was the California District Attorney, and she was the first African-American and first woman to serve in that role. 2006, she engaged in efforts to curb truancy and to decrease homicides. 2011 to 2017, she was state attorney general. 2016, she went to the U.S. Senate. She was the second African-American and the first Asian to be in the Senate. She worked in such committees as Homeland Security and Government Affairs. 2019, we know she ran for president 
and dropped out of that race only in 2020 to be selected by President Joe Biden as his presidential running mate. And Biden selected her, he says, because she's a fearless fighter for the little guy and one of the country's finest public servants. As Attorney General, Kamala also worked with President Biden's son, Beau, and in that role, she took on big banks, she lifted working people, and protected women and children from abuse. Kamala would say that her mother was one of her greatest inspirations, and she was deeply sorrowful when her mother died in 2009 of colon cancer. Her father ultimately became a naturalized U.S. citizen. He lives in the Washington, D.C. area. At some point in recent years, he wasn't too happy with his daughter's comments that she made on the radio program about marijuana and the natural association with her Jamaican heritage. He was very offended by that and talked about how the relatives would be turning over in their graves to hear her say something of that sort. But in any case... Hopefully, they are having a connection now that she's in the Washington, D.C. area. In 2014, Kamala married entertainment lawyer Doug Emhoff, and they met on a blind date. She is now stepmother to his two children, and she's known by them as Mamala. So that's kind of a nice, sweet, endearing term that she's known by them as. As we are covering Kamala Harris's life, I want you to think about a few things. What are you exposing your children to now that's going to impact them later? What are you doing intentionally? In Kamala's case, she was intentionally raised as a strong Black woman. Intentionally, there was a focus on civil rights and doing what's best for others, giving voice to the voiceless. Intentionally, there was a public and a civil service emphasis. There was an emphasis on academics and education, preparation for whatever that calling was going to be. Intentionally, there was a global perspective, her mother being from India, her father being from Jamaica, and she also lived in Canada, in Quebec. Intentionally, she was given a sense of pride in her heritage and in her cultures. And when I think back even to my own childhood and what was done intentionally, I do remember that my maternal grandmother was a person who loved to travel, loved to engage other people. She was very adventurous. And when she traveled back in the day, she was the only person I knew who went places on the airplane. Nowadays, we have airplanes called Airbus, which would suggest that The airplane is like a bus, everybody gets on it. But back in the day, it was kind of an elite experience to be traveling by airplane. It wasn't done by a whole lot of people. And I remember our whole family going down to the airport and we would see her off on her various adventures as she would cross from one end of the country all the way to the other to visit her sister or to have other adventures. And my grandmother regularly took me on the train as we went up and down the East Coast going to various different places. So I had that sense of travel, had that sense of meeting new people, going to new communities. And my mother and father, they took my next youngest brother and I frequently to the airport 
even when we weren't seeing my grandmother off, where we could just watch planes take off at the airport. And what is amazing to me is that in my life and in that brother's life, the one right next to me, we both engaged in careers that involved flying all over the world in airplanes and doing work across the globe. And that was an early influence that had something to do with that. So I want to just mention that what you show your children now creates pictures in their minds and in their brains of future possibilities. And Kamala's mother, one of the things she said to her, she said, Kamala, you may be the first to do many things. Make sure you're not the last. And as we wrap up today, I want to share with you today's biblical word of wisdom related to the preparation of children for their future. This comes from Proverbs, the 22nd chapter and verse six. And it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Notice it is he and she. We're using the universal he that includes male and female. So train up a child the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. As an executive business leader, you have many difficult decisions to make every single day. And it's important to think about how do you develop your people? How do you launch and develop high-performance teams? And how do you create a culture that wins every time? If you would like to take a look at your organization and to talk about the wisdom and guidance that would propel you to create a best place to work and also competitive advantage, then I invite you to apply for a consultation to work with me. Go to my website, www.transleadership.com, go to the services page, and under organizational consultation, you will see a tab that says, contact us. That's where you request a consultation. So if you are an executive business leader in a medium to large size company, then I look forward to receiving your application and having a conversation with you. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources. Thank you.